Sermons Podcast. This week, we are joined by our lead pastor, Dave Ferguson, as we continue our series, Unseen. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. All right, good morning, everybody. How are we doing, Yellow Box? Good, 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 good. Um, let's just start with this. How many of you recognize uh, this image we just put on the screen there? How many of you recognize that image there? Yeah? Let me see it again. Let me recognize that image. Okay, lots of, most of us. I can remember as a kid just staring at collections of these, trying to make my eyes kind of blur and then focus and then blur and then focus. So, so you can see one thing and then the other thing. And, and this one is, is kind of a classic. How many of you, I can see you whispering, how many of you see the old lady? How many of you see the old lady? Raise your hand if you see the old lady. All right, how many of you see the young woman? You see the young woman? Okay. How many of you see both? How many of you see neither? You're going like, what? What is going on? What? What? I'm, I'm totally confused what's happening here. Um, this one's been around for a long time, but I'll tell you what, it's still kind of trippy, isn't it? It's just kind of like, whoa. Or uh, how, about, how about this one? This one is called the Ebbing House Illusion. Let me ask you this. Which orange circle is bigger? Is it the orange dot on your left or the orange dot on your right? Who says orange dot on your left is bigger? All right, who says orange dot on your right is bigger? All right, prepare to have your minds blown. They are exactly the same size. It's just true, whether you believe it or not, okay? <laughs> or how about this one? This is the one that kind of, I think, kind of blew up the internet last year, right? Remember this one? Is this a black and blue dress or is it a white and gold dress? How many say black and blue? Seriously. How many say white and gold? I'm telling you, I've been staring at this all week. I only see white and gold. That's all I see is just white and gold. Really? (laughs) Come on, Dave. He says, come on. (laughs) I'm told that somehow the lighting and and the background can keep us from actually seeing what is really there. And of course, that's the whole idea behind an optical illusion. An optical illusion is somehow you have to kind of adjust your vision so so you can see something from a different perspective if you're going to be able to see it. And... This is a great example. It's important to notice what is there and what is not there. They tell you. Because like what is there are certain lines and colors. But you also need to pay attention to the white space. The white space. Kind of what you might say what is not there. Because you could say that you don't just, what you don't see can be just as important as what you do see. What you don't see can be just as important as what you do see. And I think optical illusions are a good reminder. There's often more going on around us than meets the eye. We're continuing a series. Um, This has been, this is, we're just, we're in week two of a fascinating series called Unseen. If you you weren't here last week, go back and check out the talk last week so you can get up to speed on this. And it's all about the reality in our world that there's a lot more going on than maybe meets the eye. And what we've been doing is daring to challenge one another to actually open our eyes and see into the realm of the supernatural and to see into the unseen. Now, last week, we started this talk about the, where does the unseen realm come from? And we kind of leaned into a theologian, also a friend of community, a guy named Scott McKnight, who wrote this book called The Hum of Angels, which I highly recommended last week. It's terrific stuff. And he begins this way. The Bible's cosmology. Cosmology is, is kind of just the study of the beginning of the universe. So where does the Bible say the universe began? Well, here's how the Bible explains it, that God created the earth and the heavens. He populated the earth with what we would call the visible earthly creatures, humans included. 
But he also made the heavens and populated the heavens with what are to us invisible heavenly creatures. And last week we talked about angels. And do you remember the simplest kind of simplest definition of an angel is what? Say it real loud. Go ahead. That's exactly right. A messenger. Okay. An angel is a messenger. A messenger sent by God from the unseen realm into the seen realm for God's purposes. Now, McKnight doesn't just stop there, though, because if we continue to read, here's what he says. But not all heavenly creatures are good. In fact, some are out to get us. They engage in battle to conquer all those who align themselves with Jesus. And then he kind of gets in our face a little bit, and he says this, call it what you want, but there is a cosmic battle going on. Now, now belief in the unseen realm is not that uncommon. In fact, Gallup did a poll just last year, and they asked a number of questions about the unseen. They asked, do you believe in God? It came back that 79% of Americans say, yes, I believe in God. And only about uh, 11% would say, no, I don't believe, and the rest are unsure. When they asked about angels, 72% said they believed in angels. But then when they got to, the, to, to the, 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 the devil or the evil one, it dropped quite a bit to 61%. Now, this is just Americans. Because this, this, the response to this kind of a question would, would vary depending where you are in the world, what culture you are a part of. Uh, for example, um, I get to travel quite a bit. If I was in a place like, like Thailand or certainly like in Africa, and I'm there with other folks in Africa, the, the predominant question around spiritual things like in Africa, would be more the question of, is your God strong enough to overcome the evil that I confront on a daily basis? And the whole idea is that the unseen realm even exists. That's an absurd question to them. Of course it exists. I'm confronted with it every day. What are you, why are you even asking that? It's not, it wouldn't be in a, they wouldn't even be in a category they would think in. So while some cultures buy into it, and other cultures maybe deny it, how do we make sense out of it? C.S. Lewis is one of the great thinkers of the 20th century, also a Christian writer. He, 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 make, he makes this point. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors which our race can fall about the devils. He says, there's two different mistakes we can make here. One is to disbelieve in their existence. That's a mistake you can make. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them, to kind of go overboard on it. In fact, he says, and he refers to the devils, he says, they themselves are equally pleased by both errors. And Hale, a materialist, someone who only believes in matter, only what you can see, and also the magician, who everything kind of hocus pocus, they hail both of them with the same kind of delight. Um, work with me on this a little bit and see if, see if this helps make the point. We're gonna take a little tangent here. Um, how many of you say, go ahead, let's show hands again. How many of you say, I, uh, germs are real, germs are real? Work with me. This is a little help. Germs are real. Okay. Looks like all about 100%. Huh? Germs are real. Um, you raised your hand, sir. So let, can you, could you show me one, please? <laughs> He's pointing to his tongue. Okay, that's not too bad. <laughs> I'm sure they're there, but they're not really apparent. They're not really obvious. In fact, so for much of history, up until just probably the last 150 years, people didn't believe that these kind of unseen, invisible to the naked eye particles that are actually around us, inhabiting the same space as we are, actually existed and even caused sickness. But thanks to people like Koch or Pasteur, and then of course, um, modern medicine, we now know germs are real and there are effects. And I think my perspective on the unseen realm 
can maybe be explained as we, in the same way I understand germs. Broadly speaking with germs, you can, you, can, you can deal with it three different ways. You can handle them three different ways. First, we could ignore them, ignore germs, pretend they aren't real. And of course, that leaves us vulnerable. Or second, we could become kind of a germaphobe, right? Anybody feeling the need to go to the bathroom and wash your hands? This whole conversation is kind of like, just stop talking about it. Right? We could obsess. Or third, which is the best option, is to find the right balance. We treat germs with the attention they deserve, but don't slip into fear or obsession. I think the same thing is absolutely true about the existence of evil, evil beings like the demons and like Satan himself in the unseen realm. We have three choices. We can ignore it and pretend it's not real. We can obsess and be in a constant state of terror, or we can find the just right balance. And I think, actually, I think as we listen to the words of Jesus in one of his prayers, he gives us this balance. Look what Jesus says here in John in the gospel. He says, here's my prayer. My prayer is for those immediate followers, but also his prayer for each and every one of you. So please take this in. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. He doesn't want you to come out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Not only is it clear in this verse, but if you go back and read through the Gospels, I mean, unless you're just putting on blinders, it is so clear that Jesus believed in an evil presence that was actively working against God and every good purpose of God in this world and in your life. So let me say this as clearly as I possibly can. With as much authority as you'll allow me, let me speak into your life here. Whether you realize it or not, you are in a battle. You are in a spiritual battle. And you might like to believe there aren't germs since you can't see them. But if you don't believe, you probably do it at your own peril. And so in the same way, you might refuse to open your eyes to spiritual truths and the evil that exists in it. But if you refuse to admit that there is an evil in the unseen realm... You do it at the risk of your own peril and perhaps the peril of those you love the most. And for any of you that have been around here a while, you know I don't like go here very often. But when I do, I want you to feel the weight of the seriousness of this topic. Now, but I also want us to find the right balance. Not everything is a spiritual battle, okay? Not every flat tire, not every stub toe, not every bad hair day is Satan's fault, <laughs> okay? There's nothing demonic. Sometimes we just make mistakes. Sometimes we do stupid stuff. Sometimes there are consequences and poor choices that we have, and we, re- we experience the consequence of, consequences of those. Yet, I do believe many things that we do not recognize as spiritual attacks are, in fact, a spiritual battle. For example, I think needless and unceasing worry over uncontrollable circumstances, I think, can be a spiritual battle for many of us. Anger and mistrust that threatens to divide a friendship, a long-time friendship, or a marriage. Maybe some even in this room, or a family. Or, or, or a community or a church. That is a spiritual battle. The devil himself, is in, in, in the original language in the New Testament, it's Diablo, which means to divide. Did you know that? That's what, that's what he primarily does. He divides. And that's what he's wanting to do in, in this room. He divide. 
I think things like discrimination and prejudice and racism are also tools that he used to divide a people. And so hear me on this, okay? Spiritual warfare is real. And there are real battles and real struggles going on all around us. And the battles that are in the unseen can have grave consequences if we don't open our eyes. But the question, I guess, then is, okay, all right, I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm not really sure, or I am sure, but I never really kind of been inclined to kind of look into it. What if we open our eyes? What if we all agree, okay, we're going to open our eyes. I'm going to open my eyes and just take a look at this thing. Well, if, if, if we do that, then, then how do we fight back? <laughs> how do we fight back? Well, the Apostle Paul, okay, he picks up on the teaching of Jesus. And in a brilliant, just a brilliant and fascinating way, he teaches this group of folks in a place called Ephesus, here's how you fight the evil one. Let me me just read this to you. It's kind of a large chunk of scripture here. But it's in Ephesians chapter 6, and he says this. He's talking to them. Here's how you fight the evil one. He says, first of all, he's, or finally, comes to this conclusion, be strong in the Lord and mighty in his power. Put on the full armor of God. All right, I want to pause right there, okay? Because I want you to really get kind of the, the gravity of this thing. Um, Jeff Boris, our, uh, our arts, creative arts director here, has been doing did some homework this week, and I think we have a full armor. Let's welcome Jeff. Thank you very much, Jeff. All right. Whoa, don't, there we go. Awesome, thank you. All right. So he's... This will give you kind of a visual for what Paul was thinking about when he was talking for it, kind of to bring this to life. He says, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Because here's the deal, and Paul got this. You think it's just like certain things that are going on in your life. And no, here's the struggle. The struggle is not just against flesh and blood, but instead against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly realms. So, put on this full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you have everything to stand. And then he goes on and he says this. Next verse, next page. Stand firm then. And he begins to describe it. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then he wraps it up and he says, and, in the, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, you be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Now, Paul saw that we are in a spiritual battle, that we're in a struggle against the forces of evil. And he says, let me explain how you can fight against it. And do not, don't let this be lost on you, okay? I think this is really important. When Paul talked about the armor of God, his listeners, especially those, 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 those people in Ephesus and the, the Ephesians, they would have thought of, of Roman armor like this. And for them, what this represented, this, same ar- this, is, this is the same armor that they had seen crucify their friends. This was the same armor that they saw raid their villages. This was the same armor that they saw create a military state. And so this armor here, it represented the most powerful force the world had ever seen. And so Paul grabs a hold of that as a metaphor and says, listen, no, you have that same kind of power and more. And more. So you have to kind of get that to understand the full weight of what he's talking about. And then he begins to kind of explain the armor. He says, first of all, what you have is you have, you have the, belt, the belt of truth. Now, 
they had kind of like, uh, like almost gowns that would kind of flow. So they needed a belt to kind of hold everything together. But that wasn't nearly as important as think of a belt, uh, in this case, um, more like, like kind of like Batman's utility belt, right? I mean, everything was right there, right? On this belt would have been, uh, and we'll get to this, this bad boy in a little bit, this, this sword, all right, this sword. Um, everything would have been there attached to it. But the, bit, the most important thing, it's not just a belt, it's the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Answer me back. What's the opposite of truth? The opposite of truth is what? Lies. That's exactly right, lies. And over and over again in Scripture, Satan is called, this is his nickname, the father of lies. And I'm telling you, he barrages us with untruths. He barrages us, I mean, where do these thoughts come from? With lies about who you are. He tries to tell you, okay, you are not good enough. You are unlovable. You don't deserve these good things. You tell me where those thoughts come from. He tries to barrage with lies about what you want. That you want these possessions, they'll satisfy you. You want this position, this power, that's what's ultimately going to satisfy you. Or you want this person's approval. Or inappropriately, this person's affection. That's what's going to satisfy you. And what Paul is saying, no, the first defense in any spiritual battle is you need to be equipped with the belt of truth and fight these lies because the truth is you are God's beloved child. You are God's beloved child. And the thing that will ultimately satisfy is knowing God. So that's the first thing he says you have to put on. But then he goes on, and the second thing he says this breastplate of righteousness right here. This is the breast, I, I'm not even gonna get this out. This, this is 30 pounds. This thing weighs 30 pounds right here. The breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate was important because it would protect the vital organs. In particular, in particular the heart. Because the heart was the place where you would receive and give what? Love, right? You receive and you give love. And a wound to the heart would be fatal. Hear me on this. Anytime you doubt God's love for you. That is, that, is, that is the attack of the evil one. Anytime you doubt God's love for you, that is an attack by the evil one. And the breastplate of righteousness, I mean, righteousness means rightly related. That once we say yes to Jesus, we are in a right relationship with Jesus and that, that you are always fully and wholly loved. In fact, he loved you so much, he stretched out his arms and said, I'd rather die on a cross than live without you. Never doubt his love. And what this breastplate of righteousness does, it reminds us that I am completely and wholly loved. We need that in the battle. Then he goes to the, the gospel. Then he talks, talks to us of the feet. Now, this is actually a, a, a shin guard here, and, and they would have been attached to like a sandal. And, and the sandal that they had was, uh, uh, was one, maybe the best way to explain it would be almost like if, if, uh, if you think about a cleat, if you're a football player or if, you're, or, if you're, or if you run track, you think about spikes, except the spikes they would have on these sandals, they called hobnails. You ever heard of that before? Hobnails. I never heard of that before. And a hobnail would be one to three inches long. That's how long it would be on the bottom of these sandals. And so, and, and, and the idea was that in the middle of these attacks, these lies, the doubts about God's love, that you would actually stand firm. You wouldn't retreat because you were grounded. And what are you grounded in? The gospel of peace. There's an inner peace 
Does that make sense? There's a peace because you know the truth and you do not doubt God's love. And that's why you needed the, that. And then, then you have the, uh, the shield of faith. Look at this thing. This is awesome, isn't it? Is this awesome or what? This is the shield of faith here. And, and uh, the, it, the shield of faith, actually, the, the Roman soldiers, they would actually hold them up and they would stand side by side. Okay? One other. And they would advance like this. And so the flaming arrows that would come at them with all the armor they had and the shield, the shield of faith, the shield, it would protect them. As followers of Jesus, our shield of faith is faith in Christ. Faith, if we get an arrow from the past, we know we're forgiven. An arrow from the present, we have a leader who's, who's shown us how to live life, Jesus did, here on earth. An arrow from the, the future and doubt about eternity, we have a Lord who's promised us eternity in heaven. We are able to put up the shield of faith, our faith in Jesus, and it protects us over and over again. Then, then we get to this, this is maybe my, one of my favorites here. <laughs> Can you guys tell I'm having a good time with this? <laughs> the next one is the, uh, um, the helmet. That's it, yeah, here we go. The helmet of salvation. Um, you do not go to war without having your head protected, right? Okay, I got to do this. I just got to. Look at this. Yeah? You know what? If I had like a real beard, I need, if I had a real beard, then it, then it would work, wouldn't it? It just, it doesn't quite work, right? If I had a beard, I think that would work. But the helmet of salvation, because you don't go to battle without your head, pro- oops. There we go. You don't go into battle without your head protected, right? Because, and particularly a spiritual battle. Because where do most attacks start? With our thoughts, right? In our mind. Romans 12, 2 tells us that when we become Christ followers, what happens is, is all of a sudden what happens is the renewing of our mind. All those old thought patterns, all those lies that we believed, we start renewing our mind. And that happens with salvation, we cannot survive without this, without the helmet of salvation. Then comes the, uh, the sword of the Spirit, all right? You guys have been waiting for this one. The sword of the Spirit. Jeff, we should do this every week. This is awesome. Look, look at this thing. Oh, my. Come on, John. Look at this, right? The sword of the Spirit. This is interesting. This is the only offensive weapon in the armor. Everything else is about holding your ground that's already been won. But the sword, the sword is, as it says in the scriptures, the, is the word of God, or, or it's the Bible. Hear me on this. Every time we open up God's word, we open the Bible, every time we read it, every time we study it, every time we reflect on it and meditate, meditate on it, we declare war on the enemy. Because again, let me just remind you this. Here's what the evil one wants. The evil one wants you to believe lies about who you are. The evil one wants you to believe lies about what you ultimately want to satisfy you. The evil one wants you to doubt God's love for you. The evil one wants to divide friendships. He wants to divide marriages and families and communities. That's what he wants. But God's word, what is the sword? It declares war on all that stuff. It says, no, not here, not in my marriage, not in my house, not in my community. And I'm telling you, man, when you start putting all this together and you recognize that Paul was talking about the, the Romans where this was a, a fighting force that was unparalleled, you're going like, okay, you know what? This, 
If I got this going for me, there's no evil thing that's gonna mess with me. There's no evil thing that's gonna mess with me. Let me wrap it up, okay? With two challenges. Soldiers, can I call you soldiers? (laughs) Two challenges, here we go. First one is this, you stand firm in prayer. Okay, why do I jump to prayer? Because here's how, that's how Paul ends this whole section. He says this, no, you pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Now just keep this in mind. Be alert to this and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Understand this, prayer is not the posture of the weak. Prayer is the posture of the strong. Prayer is not the posture of the weak. Prayer is the position of someone who's strong. And when we're constantly in prayer, we are hearing from God and he's alerting us to the evil that is coming our way, the attacks that we're about to experience. The second challenge, stand firm in prayer. The second challenge, stand firm together. Remember Diablo, devil, he wants to divide. Divide people, friendships, marriages, families, communities. There's one aspect of this whole thing I, I, I haven't mentioned yet. Um, no soldier in the first century was able to put all this armor on all by themselves. Um, it would be so heavy, it was so bulky that it actually required another fellow soldier to help them put on this armor. And I think it, it just reminds us that we need to stand together. We need to help each other. We need to be shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield to fight off this enemy. So I'll tell you what, here's what I'd like to do. I'm gonna ask everybody to stand up. Everybody just stand up. Let's try this. And um, if you need to scoot a little bit or you need to back up a row or move up a row, go ahead and do that. But I want you to link arms. Go ahead and link arms to someone next to you. There you go. And you know what, too? I have to say, for some of you married couples, some of you married couples or some of you families, one of the things that, that Sue and I do, and you may be surprised to know that occasionally Sue and I fight. My wife and I fight. I know that's shocking. It's just shocking. Really? But on our better days, when we really get it right, you know what we'll say? We'll say, hey, you're not the enemy. I'm not the enemy. Okay? He's the enemy. There's an enemy trying to divide us. And that's not only true in marriages, that's true in families, but it's also true in our communities. There's an enemy that's trying to divide us. And as Christ followers, we come together. And let this be a symbol and reminder that we are in this battle together fighting an unseen battle. Paul wraps this whole kind of thing up and he explains it in 2 Corinthians in kind of a concise way. He says, for though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. See, here's the weapons. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of this world, but on the contrary, and I love this last line, what we have is we have weapons that have divine power to demolish strongholds. Please let that sink into your heads and your hearts. You have divine power available to you to demolish strongholds. What's he mean strongholds? Strongholds are, are territory taken by the evil one. And for some of us, some of us, the evil one has taken some territory right here. And how we think. How, how we think about ourselves, that I'm not lovely, I'm not, I, I, I'm, I'm not deserving, I'm not worthy. How we think about what's gonna satisfy us. He's taken some territory here. It's a stronghold. For some of us, there's a territory right here in our hearts, the things we want. We want things that, that, that we know aren't really good for us. And we find ourselves obsessing about those things. And it might be status, it might be power, it might be a person, their affection or their, their admiration. 
And for some of us, he's taking territory, strongholds in our behavior. There's addictions, over drinking, over spending, sex, overeating, things that we can't stop. And we know it's destroying every good thing that God wants to do in our lives. And he says, listen, with those strongholds, you have the power. What's the word right here? What's the word right here? Say it out loud. Now you gotta say it with a little more energy. What's the word right here? Demolish, right? You have, he said, I wanna give you the spiritual power, the divine power to demolish every fear, every anxiety, every doubt, every anger, apathy, pride, regret, demolish it. Revenge, divisiveness, argumentativeness, shame, loneliness, prejudice, demolish it. That's what he wants to do. And we link arms and say, no, the evil one will not divide us. It will not have a hold on us. That in fact, we stand firm in the truth that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any power, not height or depth, nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God. And in all the glory goes to Jesus who gave us the victory. Are you with me? We stand firm together, we stand firm in prayer, and we are promised the victory. We got one person who's excited about that. <laughs> Is anybody else excited? Oh, I guess you got a locked arms. Yes. It's kind of hard to clap when you got your arms locked. I understand. My bad. I'll tell you what, let's pray. Let's pray. Keep your arms locked. Keep them locked. Father God, you are such a good God to us that you not only came here and showed us how to live, but then you also, you also empowered us to be able to see what's happening, not just in the seen world, but the unseen world and how to fight against it. And Lord, I ask that for every one of us, these strongholds that are maybe in our heads, that we demolish those. The strongholds in our hearts, that we demolish those. The strongholds that we see in our own behaviors, that we demolish those with that divine power that you have given us. Lord, I ask that this not be something that we ignore and not be something that we're afraid or obsess about, but instead we find the just right balance that we know, yeah, this is real, but we know how to combat it. We know how to do battle. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.